This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hi, it's Vanessa from the Fighting Stigma Show on Free FM. Are you a Waikato local? Do you have an idea for a radio show? Do you want to try your hand at being a content creator on Free FM? If so, check out our website on freefm.org.nz or find Free FM on Facebook and get in touch. Sinclair and his partner Harlico, whose homeland is Japan, go cycling to celebrate Christmas in the Catlins of the South Island. Roy, once head of the New Zealand chapter of the World Peace Bell, sought a replica bell to cite at the Christchurch Botanic Gardens. Sleepless nights by firelight, the stranger in this town. Goodbye, talking long and singing songs. I have laid my loneliness down. So long, days end with peaceful friends. There is no richer wine. We're going south towards Queenstown. Another couple are cycling north. We might never have met but for our decisions to interrupt our separate cycle holidays to tarry a few days at Lake Wanaka to walk in Aspiring National Park. In December 2002, we form a foursome representing three nations. I'm a Kiwi from Christchurch, Haliko's Japanese, and our newfound friends Wayne and Sue are American cyclists, adventurers, and tour guides on a trip to meet clients to take their next trip. Once we're on the road... We're all like nomads, really, telling tales of where we've been and where we aim to go. If only time stood still to afford the time to explore at leisure. Looking at the map, there's plenty to choose from. From Lake Wanaka, we can reach Queenstown by two routes. If we follow the Clutha River downstream to Cromwell, then head up the Kawaro River in the laborious Kawaro Gorge, it would be one way. 112 kilometres. Or should we go directly into the Crown Range on New Zealand's highest highway? It's only 73 kilometres that way. This is where the touring cyclist likely reaches for the guidebook. Yet we meet cyclists whose reliance on popular cycling guidebooks leads them astray. This is an example. Electing to go over the Crown Range rather than skirt its foothills by the longer route it all depends on whether we go north or south. This back road to Queenstown climbs to over a thousand metres above sea level. It's tempting to take. Be warned, going northwards is toughest. Queenstown to Wanaka. Hapless cyclists who ride that way, guidebook in hand, are in for a surprise. Here's why. Lots of hairpin bends inch you closer to the Crown Range Plateau. Luckily, there's a rest area high up and some mighty fine views of the Wakatipu Basin. Unfortunately, this isn't the actual summit. That's five kilometres of tough climbing farther on. We're coming the other way. From Wanaka, we ride southwards towards Queenstown, over the Crown Range. 
we come upon Cardrona Hotel. Here, since the 1860s, discovery of gold lured impoverished miners with prospects of fame and fortune. Preserved as one of the few remnants of the original settlement that sprang up beside Cardrona River, the hotel has its legends of past glory. The publican who lasts longest, James Patterson, a principled person strong on decorum and decency in dispensing alcohol to patrons, moderates their intake. For any whose destinations lie north near Wanaka, two drinks, not more. For any headed south, taking the shortcut to Queenstown over the Crown Range, considered a dangerous drive in those days, definitely only one drink, not a drop more. His deciding how much alcohol a guest gets, being based on which way a driver intends going, is unique to James Patterson, who everyone calls Jimmy, who doesn't approve of selling any alcohol to women at all. He takes over the Cardrona in 1926, just before world recession brings banks, shares, currencies and real estate to its knees. We might wonder how Jimmy Patterson and the Cardrona could weather this economic storm. Yet this he does, staying on deck as publican for the next 35 years, dying at age of 91. His hotel, Cadrona, once used to compete with three other hotels in the valley. As business drops off, one by one they fail, while Cadrona carries on. Despite Jimmy's legendary repute to have once sold warm beer from a corked bottle... His era of hospitality and temperate drinking of alcohol is over. As a boisterous, gold-prospecting clientele evaporates, associated businesses shut up shop, unaware an avalanche of skiers are soon to discover the joys of these pristine mountain slopes. By this quirk of fate, opportunities will arise that give powder snow the glint of gold. But Cadrona Hotel has meantime become almost derelict. We get a first glance and wonder if it still is. But behind its shabby facade is a superbly refurbished bar and accommodation, opened just a few months before Harlico and I arrive on our laden bicycles in 2003. A road sign opposite the old Cadrona corroborates what Jimmy Patterson feared could be the undoing of patrons who imbibe liquor without restraint. It warns of extreme gradients. As the morning clouds clear, we're out in summer's heat taking the high road to Queenstown. Harlico spins her pedals in typical samurai style, hell-bent on getting muscle cramp over and done with. I follow, distracted by seeing a regrettable trail of roadside beer bottle glass. As sunscreen melts, it trickles into my eyes, blurring vision and making my eyes sting. A haze of heat rises from gently simmering tussock land. My every muscle aches as we inch upward. The road reaches towards the summit of the Crown Range. Having faced its share of false summits, always one more to climb, it seems, and then another, never ending till, coming over the next rise on an otherwise deserted road, we see the dinkiest little road roller coming towards us. I can't believe my eyes. Is something in Cadrona Bar's beer making me hallucinate that out of an azure heaven should roll this nifty machine with its cheery young driver from aloft? 
He says he's to deliver the roller down towards Cadrona, having been dropped off at a convenient place just over the other side of the summit. You're almost there, he calls out to encourage us. I hear the roller gathering speed as he grinds his way past us and down till they disappear on the steep gradient. Finally, I'm at the top. Harleko, the fitter of the two of us, sits already by a large rock, her cycling helmet replaced by a decorative headscarf. In this alpine setting, she's looking stunningly beautiful. Peaks of the remarkables fill the horizon. Our route down curves steeply into the depths of a valley we can't see. Up here, the sun's heat melts sunscreen almost as soon as it's applied, rendering it almost useless. Dramatic clouds begin to form round the mountain tops. Our fast descent that follows is more than worth the struggle it is to get here, calling for keen concentration, negotiating hairpin bends under heavy braking. I can feel brake blocks thinning as we go down. Leaning into the sharp bend, I sensed an altered balance as the panniers behind me slip forward against the heels of my shoes. Our minds focus on keeping our bicycles from crashing off on corners too steep to stop. It's 11 kilometres of steep descent, except for a levelling out about halfway down. I recall hearing determined cyclists occasionally having to confess to walking up the then unsealed Queenstown side, captivated by the view. The sky is changing, draining heat from the afternoon. The question is, will we be undercover before rain? Lots of it by the look of it. Beats on Queenstown's door? It's only 20 kilometres from here, the Cadrona turn-off on the main road into Arrowtown, along to Queenstown. It's just as well we win that race, for getting our tent pitched dry in the cramped camping ground is a good start to weathering a storm in comfort outdoors, protected only by the nylon from our neighbour's chainsaw snores on one side, and obnoxious behaviour of a man to his wife on the other. Yet, within a nylon cocoon, Harleko and I find it remarkably cosy and dry. But it rains for three days, between listening to rain drumming on the tent fly and getting our next meal. We must amuse ourselves. There's the TSS Earnslaw Wharf, where we could relax, watching the veteran seamer, one of the last in the world still fired by coal, plying tourists over Lake Wakatipu. Her hull, built in Dunedin, had to be dismantled for transport to Kingston, and there fitted out to sail on Lake Wakatipu. Launched in 1912, she extends New Zealand Railway's network from its rail terminus at Kingston, to servicing of Queenstown, Glenorchy, Kinloch, and several major sheep stations on the shores of Lake Wakatipu. Something else to escape the rain for a couple of hours is sample the cinema. The always self-confident actor Leonardo DiCaprio of Titanic appears in Catch Me If You Can. On the streets of Queenstown, an art studio arrests Harleko's attention to its long canvas all but filling the window frame entitled Point of Reference. 
I'm obliged to show an interest to discover the source of such power to summon attention. Harlico says it's, and never finishes the sentence. As far as I can see, it's a work of art, with the typical retired old salt lying the length of the painting, wearing blue shorts, that's all. I mean, that's all he's wearing. Beneath a beach towel, the sand looks soft, warm, and comforting. His head and bearded chin, cradled by his sweatshirt, rests cosily. His eyes, partly protected by a straw hat, are shut. In the background, a large ship he may once have worked at sea is steaming towards the edge of the canvas. What's in it that so appeals to Harlequin? Oh, yes, the point of reference. It can only be that pair of round beach stones balanced precariously on an over-generous, well-tanned pot belly. So, Haluko merely eyes me curiously, lets her gaze fall again on the shop window, then back to me, says nothing. Maybe it reminds her of someone. Who? She hesitates, then bursts into devilish laughter, leaving me to guess. She thinks it's wonderful. I'm not so sure. A high-pressure system spreads blue sky over Lake Wakatipu from the south, chasing away the last of the rain. We shake out our now wet tent to pack into our belongings, ready for the road. From the campground we freewheel into the wharf where TSS Earns Law is waiting, stoking her boilers for the 15-kilometre voyage across the lake to Walter Peak. Before parting with civilization, we enjoy sipping coffee in the ship's posh cafe and listen to the scrape of coal shovels below deck. Soon it will be our legs of flesh and bone propelling us like pistons on our South Island Odyssey.
We disembark with our bikes, tourists aboard, curious to see a couple set down on one of New Zealand's remote roads, evidently having somewhere to go, far from civilization and amid mountain splendor. Here are the high country sheep stations, Walter Peak, which runs 18,000 merino and perindale sheep, and about 800 beef cows. And Mount Nicholas Station, 40,000 hectares, and runs 29,000 merino sheep and 2,300 Hereford cattle. It's by this back road we plan to reach Teano, camping overnight near one of the Mavora lakes, a route now emerging as popular for cycle tourists, provided they open and shut gates over the road in accord with the farm management. We breathe in crisp alpine air, which conveys colour more clearly than elsewhere. Sound-wise, only our own bike tyres on gravel, crunching southwards on a thin ribbon of grey gravel, is making a sound. Along the road, occasionally, we encounter strangers, though they're all so friendly. We stop to chat invited to share in their picnic lunch before going our separate ways. Experience will demonstrate our back roads always take longest. A stunning view of Lake Wakatipi, the river to ford, a long steep climb above Von River. Lacking bridges, the terrain confronts the traveller with the risk that cycling in low gear into running water, if the spinning pedals lose momentum, we'll probably end up falling sideways for a thorough soaking. We come upon cattle looking so robust we'll give them a wide margin. When we cross Oreti River, our map alerts us. Look out for a tunnel of trees leading to Mavora Lakes. An oasis of native beech forest and the calm of cool waters reflecting mountains with knobbly peaks. It's to the remote camp dock, Department of Conservation, administers from a distance, we go in the early evening. We're alone, so set out to reconnoiter the vicinity before light fades. There's a long drop toilet and tap. Ah, we've company after all, a cycling touring couple from Britain, and a family adventure touring in their four-wheel drive, stopping in for trout fishing here at the North Mavora Lake. It's not surprising people pass by here. The lakes are now part of the Lord of the Rings legend as a film location. Transformed into Tolkien's Fangora Forest, the Lake of Nen Hotel is the one that Frodo and Sam cross on their journey to Mordor in the final scene of the Fellowship of the Ring. These events become part of folklore. Some experiences are timeless. I'm crawling from our tent in the night, 
Look towards the lake and pause. I see stars reflecting in North Mabora Lake. It's a timeless setting that accounts for its sonorous Māori name, Te Puna o Waifetu, or Wellspring of Water Reflecting Stars. Only would someone here overnight near the shore know to feature such revelation in its name, feeling the presence of ancient native forest next day. We're reluctant to venture again into open terrain, but we must to cycle 73 kilometres farther to Teano, civilization. Haruko gets annoyed. First, it's the presence on the road of dark blobs here and there, of sheep poo. We dodge them while we can, but their frequency skyrockets. Now the blobs are picked up by our tyres to be flicked from the road up into our faces. She's not impressed. The situation worsens as we go. Haliko's patience is wearing thin, so foreign relations are definitely deteriorating. The Japanese are so fussy about keeping clean. Uh, not a kiwi tray, now that you mention it. When Smelly Poo starts adhering to her shapely bare legs, her face registers utmost disdain. Dodging so much is difficult. On rounding the next curve, we see the source. A big mob of sheep on the road, going in the same direction as us. We need past them without panicking them. Only townies make that mistake, sizing up the situation. I reckon there's about 2,000 in the mob. I see a farmer poised on his four-wheel motorbike looking for trouble. He says nonchalantly, Just ride on through. I thought he looked a bit relaxed. A mob of that many can drive a man to drink. Arlico, the least familiar with sheep, pedals gently toward these creatures who create that poo all over her. Her sense of distrust they sense scattering before her. Some turning back almost skittle me from my bike. Having one hand on the bike, the other is dexterously trying to record the event on camera. It's like a pantomime. Relieved and laughing, we eventually get beyond the head of the mob. The British cyclists, we spot them racing as if for dear life to get through the gap Harlico opened up in the sheep mob. We wait on the British cyclists, the couple camping at the same Mavora lakes of the Mavora Park conservation area as we did. On seeing them, the sheep suddenly stop to stare. Do sheep also enjoy the frolic? leaving something by which to remember their caper in the high country of the Southern Alps. Not till mid-afternoon do the tyres cease to shower us with occasional gravel pieces with poo stuck to it. By now we are cycling a main road, yet spoilt by noisy, polluting, fast-flowing tourist traffic to and fro Teano. We book in at the then-new steamer's backpackers. Once showered, dignity restored, we celebrate success of our latest cycle tour by dining at the Ming Garden. There's a man in the million I like to catch up with, Ross McMillan, a real backroads Kiwi country bloke. He let us print his poetry for readers of the Central Otago News. His homespun ballads are penned under the name Blue Jeans. A handsome volume publishes his work in 
the country bloke and other verse. We'd met a generation ago, yarning outside Naseby's ancient Britain pub. Homespun nostalgia. He writes often of the gold rushes, farming and mustering in central Otago mountains, and of the popular central Otago winter sport, curling. We last arranged a rendezvous when Ross was 73. Harlico and I cycled to Naseby campground before taking on the notorious Danzy's Pass route to Oamaru. Promising more sedate cycling, Ross chats in his Scottish burr. A reminder that a third of Otago Southland settlers are descended from Scottish immigrants. Folk ask Ross if he's ever travelled. Yes, he assures them. I'm born at Naseby Hospital. Went to Ranfley once, but didn't like it. Ranfley's just 12 kilometres away. These days it's all different for the young people of Naseby. They go to work on grain farms of the United States. They start in Texas to work with the season up toward Canada. Ross goes on Radio's Spectrum documentary about his verse and famous annual Otago horse treks led by his brother Bill. Ross still works on the Naseby farm, although its ownership is in the hands of others in the family. Wish I'd taught the dogs how to crutch sheep, he laughs. At twenty, I was okay. At forty, still okay. It's a bit rough when past seventy. I stop by the sheep shed for a photo of Ross next morning, promising more sedate cycling on our way to Dancy's Pass. Harlico goes on ahead as I follow, peddling on the narrow, dusty road through the old Kyburn diggings. I pause at an old bullet hole sign, advising the charges at the Kyburn diggings cemetery. I read them again, and remember a single internment on open ground costs one pound sterling. They speak of a harsh life on the goldfields. Even today, we look at these bleak surroundings, the workings of the gold seekers could still be seen in honey-coloured, artistically sluiced cliffs. I pedal on in a hurry to rejoin Harlico, who I find happy and relaxed in a chair on a shaded veranda, ready to order a second cup of coffee along with one for me. For such an isolated spot, about nineteen kilometres from Naseby, it's a decidedly flash pub these days, both upmarket dining and no doubt costly lodgings. It's been built in the 1880s with schist rock and a kink to match the slight bend in the road it borders. It's here the Parker brothers in 1861 boast a discovery of gold, heralding the gold rush to Naseby and Kyburn, with only the occasional vehicle passing on this pleasant summer morning. The odd passerby gets concerned at our intention to cycle the Danzy Pass. One offers his condolences. As it turns out, the climb of about seven kilometres up the pass on narrow dirt road twisting through golden tussock hills isn't so difficult. Listen next week to Historic Souvenirs on Free FM 89.0, proudly supported by New Zealand On Air. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.